last week I was invited to, well, for two things. The same day, people called me and they asked. One was for a speaking engagement and the other one was to write an article. And both of them, it first was like a nice introduction. And then they were like, yeah, but uh, there's no budget. And I was like... <laughs> what <laughs> and of course it's really my topic is like the pay gap and women doing too much unpaid work so I was like ha 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 well it's difficult to negotiate with a salada stijger <laughs> and then the guy was like oh yeah now I'm immediately reminded of your article women do too much unpaid work I was like yeah it's true <laughs> Hi there, and welcome to Brown, Brainy and Beautiful, a food for thought blogging platform and podcast. My name is Anissa, and this podcast provides inspirational conversations about topics that matter with people from different walks of life. So people who dare to keep their lives real and share what gives them inspiration in doing that. So stay tuned. episode we will be talking about diversity and inclusion in the workforce, a topic that increasingly has been advocated by organizations by means of really caring or fear of missing out and losing organizational legitimacy. Either way, in my working life I would notice many discussions about inequality and the wage gap, but no further action afterwards. In the pursuit of understanding the issue better, I gathered data and conducted in-depth research on gender diversity. The findings gave reason to raise awareness on biases we all have and how this enforces one-dimensional demographics across the organization. But then you can easily get into a rabbit hole when you ask the question, how to attain such an inclusive workforce? and how to avoid it becoming an act of window dressing and not making space for different people. Usually I ask the famous five times why question, but when it comes down to this topic, the why is self-evident and it is the how that is the biggest challenge given all the different predictors. It is for this reason that in this episode I am joined by expert Sophie van Gogh, who is on a mission to close the gender and ethnic wage gap. Now, let's get that real conversation started, shall we? Sophie, welcome. Thank you. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself? Very nice to be here. In the podcast, um, I'm an entrepreneur on a mission to close the gender gap. So I own two companies. One is called Moonshot, with which I'm helping mostly corporates, but also professional services firms and some startups with their diversity and inclusion strategies, doing analysis, um, strategy and training. And the other company is called Salarstijger in Dutch, Salary Tiger in English. And with that, we're helping employees, mostly women, uh, negotiate better salaries and really focusing on this issue of the pay gap. And I live in Amsterdam, my boyfriend, and 
yeah, apart from that, there's not much I'm doing in <laughs> this lockdown. COVID time. Yeah, shame, shame on the lockdown. But um, yeah. a very serious, uh, serious mission you have. So tell us a little bit about why um, and also how, in particular, you like to close the gender and racial weight gap. Well, why? Because I think it's like so unfair that. Uh, women and also people of color, black people get paid a lot less than uh, white men do. And part of it is because they're doing different jobs or they're working in different kind of companies. But part of it is also when they're doing ex the exact same work. So it's something I, I still can't believe, but <laughs> it's really true. Mm. So I think it's super unfair and it's something I really want to change. Mm. And how I'm doing it is... Um, well, putting pressure on all sides. So <laughs> both talking to the companies, to the employers and telling them like, hey, uh, what about your pay gap? Did you uh, investigate it? Did you close it? Why? Why not? Um, and asking them time and time again. And on the other hand, um, I'm doing a lot of uh, talking to employees, uh, giving presentations, writing these articles, making podcasts about the topic so people become more aware of it and they can also investigate it for themselves and they know what their rights are and they can um, ask and negotiate for better salaries. So it's both a push and a pull factor to uh, to engage people and, yes. and acknowledge yes. yeah. Or in increasing the knowledge on on the matter, and and can you maybe because of uh, you already mentioned uh, uh, one of the names of your company was in Dutch, so you're mainly engaging in the Dutch workforce context. What is yeah. typically contextual for that workforce climate? Well, I think first of all, I've also worked in some other countries. I've worked in Sweden, in France, in Spain, in London, and I think differences between countries are not that large people are always talking about oh the Netherlands is so bad and yeah it's true but other countries <laughs> are also doing pretty bad it's not much better um, but I think what's quite typical for the Dutch context is that people think they are doing pretty well they think they are very self-aware and very open they're very equal very and inclusive yeah. exactly yeah. that's also the reputation the Netherlands has but yeah, it's not really true. It's like, um, you know, of course, it's it's better than some other countries. Like uh, on paper, I think women have equal rights. But I don't think so. It's true. Um, but I think in practice, it's not true. So that's maybe quite typical that um, people think they are very open and we're very advanced. And that kind of prevents a lot of people from really looking critically at themselves and really reflecting. And one of the things I've been reading, because you also publish every now and then in, in a very famous Dutch newspaper, the Volkskrant, and I remember that you would also write about the topic of the number of women on the workforce doing work for nothing, basically. Can you yeah. elaborate a little bit on that discussion? Yeah, so that's also quite typical for the Dutch uh, workforce is that a lot of women are in um, part-time jobs or part-time paid jobs. Uh, but then it's kind of a paradox. So on the one hand, labor force participation for women is really high in the Netherlands. It's one of the highest in Europe. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of these women work part-time. And that is, of course, because women are still like in 
I think every country in the world, the primary caretakers, if they have children and they do the majority of the work, uh, unpaid work at the house, also taking care of elderly people, but also uh, cleaning, cooking, etc. Um, and in the Netherlands, there's a lot of discussion about this, like, oh, women should work more hours and people mean in paid work, mm. but they never talk about, okay, but who's going to take on this unpaid work? Okay. Uh, you know, why aren't men doing more of that? Or why aren't we talking about how we can pay for that or how we can more equally divide it? So I thought that's an interesting discussion. And uh, it uh, turned out <laughs> it was after I published the article. Yeah, because what reactions would you get on this? Um, a lot of women telling me, yes, yes, finally, someone <laughs> recognizes it and uh, they were positive. And some angry men saying, oh, um, yeah, you are stupid. <laughs> yeah, should we pay for it? It will cost a lot of money. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly my point, yeah. you know, because it's very valuable work and it costs a lot of money. And now we're taking it for granted mm -hmm. that people are just doing it voluntarily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so mixed reactions, but overall very positive and people, uh, yeah, I think it was good. Mm. So, because this topic interests me on a personal level as well, um, that's of course why I really wanted to have this podcast uh, with you. Um, but there are a number of, of propositions I, I sort of had to think about and I would like to explore them with you. Um, so the first one I had to think of is the diversity and inclusion initiatives that organizations are um, uh, are implementing or taking uh, or steps in that are pretty hyped up due to, for example, the Black Lives Matter Instagram posts and also the gender wage gap reports that are published every year. How would you react to that uh, to that proposition? Yeah, I think it's pretty true <laughs> because I think looking from the outside. Um, uh, you will think that diversity and inclusion is like the key priority of almost every CEO, like especially looking at multinationals, corporates, they publish a lot of articles, they always have a website that looks very nice, they have like people of every gender, every race uh, represented, looks like a United Colors of Benetton uh, commercial, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> when you really get inside, it's like, no, it's completely different, you know, and it turns out that a lot of it actually is window dressing yeah. and they're not taking real action like uh, equal pay or, um, you know, flexible working or equal maternity, paternity leave or like real anti-discrimination policies. So I think, yeah, from the outside, it looks like companies are doing a lot, but when you get in, usually you're disappointed it's pretty hyped up so how would you explain because it's a very complicated it's very complex uh topic but how would you explain this mech this this mechanism that you're describing now that there's this sort of window dressing thing happening because it's not something from just now this has been happening for many many years already because it's pretty difficult to change something uh, I think a lot of companies feel the pressure. They are like, okay, there's external pressure either from the employees or from the press or regulation coming up. So we should do something or from customers. Mm -hmm. We should do something. We can't uh, keep silent. So they do something, but then they are too <laughs> lazy or too focused like on the short-term results that they're not doing a lot because in the end, yeah, most companies, they just want to make as much money as possible. 
And even though there's a business case for diversity and inclusion, it's not going to generate extra profits like tomorrow, you know? So I think everyone thinks it's important, but it's never really urgent. And that then it's like pushed to the bottom of the priority list. And then, yeah, nothing really changes. Yeah, my own experience, if I would reflect on that, is if it's not on the priority list of the CEO... I'm not going to put energy into this topic because if it's no. not, then otherwise nothing will happen because everyone agrees, yes, this is important. But if the CEO doesn't care about it, then you might as well just not do anything with it. Um, but then again, this brings me to the next proposition is that how do you reflect on initiatives on personal level in organizations and what, um, that they don't really have a massive impact on the organization? And what do you mean, initiatives on a personal so level? Really like bottom-up approaches. No, I think it can work. Uh, I think it's good to like, I think everyone who cares about this topic and uh, sees things in, in their workplace that they don't agree with, they should address it. Because in the end, yeah, if you're not going to do it, nothing is going to happen. Um, but it's and I think it's frustrating. Think- it's, it can also become a frustration. Yes. Of course, it can be very frustrating. So, like, also you need to stop at some point. So, I think <laughs> address like for your own sanity. So, like, address it and you know do the things that are within your power, within your influence. So, you can talk to people, you can ask HR or your directors, or depends for a meeting and discuss it and say like, hey, I don't agree with this, and maybe we should implement this and this as a solution. Uh, but it's not as an employee it's not your responsibility to to really solve it so if you see at some point like okay they really don't care or nothing is going to change mm-hmm. that yeah uh, make up your mind and uh, and decide what you want to do yeah. but i think to start it to initiate it that can be really powerful and also um i wonder what how you reflect on when people become the spokesperson in an organization because they have the characteristic of a specific group. So for example, myself as a woman of color, so I'm and a woman and a person of color in a context that is white, people notice me. And also for the fact that I have an opinion <laughs> or opinionated to a certain yes. group, then it's like, oh, we should involve you to have this discussion. It's not just me. I've, I've heard this many times. Also, yeah other people and how do you reflect on that yeah it happens a lot and i think it's pretty bad also because it's in the end also it's unpaid work like you have a normal job and then they expect you because you belong to this minority group let's say to also take care of it and to also come up with all the solutions what's like hello you're just like a professional you're not an hr uh, person or dni expert or anything right yeah so i think that's pretty bad. On the other hand, I do think it's good if um, directors or leadership, if they listen to their employees and they also listen to uh, yeah, the people who it's about or who maybe don't feel included in the organization. So I think it's good if, if they involve you, but it shouldn't become your responsibility and especially not your sole responsibility. And also I recognize what you say, like sometimes... Um, yeah, if you're a minority as a woman or a person of color or um, only LGBT person, then it's like, oh, you talk for your 
community, yeah. let's say, or you represent all women in the world. It's like, no, you're also an individual, you know? So yeah. I think that's also pretty, I think it's like a lazy solution for a lot of organizations. Yeah. We've now also tackled, of course, it's an issue. This we, we can't say it's not an issue because they're facts. We can, we can measure the facts. We have data, statistics, metrics saying that there is inequality on the workforce. Yeah. How um, would you try to tackle that issue? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive question. I, I realize, but it's, yeah. because it's so... Um, I found it complicated and complex myself um, to have done an entire research, have conducted like this massive research internally in the organization I um, I have worked for. There's so much data out there. And yes, you can argue that maybe N is not 5,000. So, hey, you know, it could be statistically speaking that there would be 0.5% chances that it's not, uh, uh, you can't generalize. But um, also from a qualitative perspective, there are perceptions and opinions and experience, valid, legitimate experiences from people. And yet the answer sometimes be, still remains, yeah, but maybe we have to continue research. <laughs> maybe we yeah. just have to find out and research the research findings. So, yeah, I get so that? angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but uh, did you see that in other organizations? Or what is your yes, observation? everywhere. Like, I think especially in this kind of intellectually focused organization. So I talked to someone in a university and they said they were doing a research on the gender pay gap for four years and then in the end they found out like okay we have a pay gap and then the answer was not like okay how are we gonna close it, it was like oh let's do more research i'm like <laughs> please you know <laughs> so oh it, but it happens everywhere i've also seen this a lot that and it also frustrates me because then you have done a lot of research and then the question is not about okay we see a lot of inequality how are we gonna solve it the question is like oh, maybe we should present this in another type of graph because then we can see it more clearly. It's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I think in the end also, like, on the one hand, it's difficult, but also it's not that complex because if you really want to change this, you should, like, there are a few decisions you make every day as a company. It's like, who do you hire? Who do you fire? Who do you promote? And how much do you pay people? And if you want to resolve the inequality, you should pay attention to that. So really make an effort to recruit people that are different from your current workforce. You know, uh, really make an effort to include them, make sure the voices are heard and you don't ask them only about diversity initiatives, but you make them part of like the core processes of the company and give them important projects, important roles. And then promote them, pay them equally, and like stop all the social media <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I, I like this one. You know who you want to hire, promote, and fire, and focus yeah. on these, these essential. Basically, these are the foundations. Yes. And it's not that that complex. Like I see some organizations that want to talk about it and do another 
roundtable and another panel discussion and more of oh, this. I'm like, so irritated when that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and, it, and it doesn't really solve anything, you know, to the daily experience of people. It creates more fuzziness to discuss about more vague stuff. <laughs> exactly. And it's, I think in the end, it's kind of an excuse to always keep on postponing real action because it's like, yeah, let's do another research. Yeah, but we need to ask another expert, you know, because we cannot really make decisions yet. It's like, no, you can make decisions, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> do and, it um, yeah. yeah. I wonder whether you think it has to do with the inability to take decisions or the inability to become pragmatic about things and to not be a perfectionist. Then another explanation. Yeah, I think maybe that's it. Like, they're like, yeah, but we want to have the perfect plan. And, you know, we cannot just take any action. I'm like, well, maybe just try any action. And it's not going to be perfect. But at least, you know, you're moving. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. But I think in the end, it's also just about power. Like, uh, like it's a fact that if you want to make space for women, if you want to make space for people of color, it means that, some white men you know they need to move out and some white women as well mm. and if as long as they are like the majority of the leadership teams yeah i think it's just also about their personal uh, position and mm. about their power and they don't want to yeah. give that up i think, I think. That's a really i think that's really on point what you're saying there because i i remember i had a discussion once where on this topic related to research that was conducted and essentially it was a it became personal because it became a personal discussion on people's careers yeah they do not want to um sacrifice ultimately but the thing is exactly. there is no sacrifice there won't be change exactly yeah i think that's a very important point because there's also what I'm telling organizations that are like, yeah, but everyone agrees and we should do this. And, you know, there's then I'm asking them like, oh, but really everyone is on board. There's no person like who's angry about this. They're like, no, everyone is so positive. I tell them like, okay, but then you're not taking the right initiatives because it means, you know, you're not changing anything. Mm -hmm. Just putting a black box on Instagram or putting the rainbow flag for the pride, everyone's like, yeah, sure, of course, do it. But if you say, okay, we have a target now and we're only going to promote uh, 20, 50% of this demographic and this seat is reserved for this person, they're going to be like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I you know? to pay. <laughs> Hold on. Exactly. Yeah, and then they are like, yeah, sure, we can do this, but not this year, not this quarter, because now I have my promotion, you know? So... In the end, it's about people's individual position. That makes them really, uh, yeah, angry, yeah. I think. Yeah, because it becomes, it gets really close to their own agenda. Yeah. So you just pointed it out. You said organizations should just do it, just start. And that brings me to the next proposition, which is it's, it's good that organizations do at least something, even though they're not solving everything as of yet. How do you reflect on that one? Yeah, I find it a difficult one. I think when I started this work, I was like happy with every <laughs> progress I saw. You know, I was like, wow, they are talking about it. Wow, uh, you know, the CEO is mentioning it in a speech. That was like, I saw it as a sense of progress. Mm -hmm. But I think the longer I work on it, the more I think like, you know, it's 
kind of fake and <laughs> I'd rather have a company just honestly saying like, okay, you know, this is not a priority for us and we're just going to continue with our real core business and that's it. Um, then companies saying like, oh, we find it important and we're doing are writing articles, we're making podcasts, but in the end, we don't want to change anything. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. I think uh, I think it's better to do nothing <laughs> if you're <laughs> if you're not willing to make real change. Then yeah. also don't pretend you do. Yeah. Obviously, you have seen more organizations from the inside uh, on this particular topic. So my my reference mm-hmm. point is 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 limit is more limited, but. One thing that irritated me at some point, and not just in one organization, but in different ones, is that there would be different initiatives, similar initiatives overlapping each other without it being a part of a bigger picture of a bigger program. Um, mm-hmm. So so then what you get is, oh, yes, let's organize this. Or, oh, yes, let's do that. But in the end, there's no literally there's no objective. So what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you're not attaining a goal here. You're just having, you're just different islands doing different things, but it should be yeah. part of the same thing with a specific purpose, you know, with a set objectives that are aligned with, yeah, that have commitment from the CEO and from the, the leadership yeah. to push it forward. I agree because you see this a lot that usually it's like these groups of employees that usually represents one of the uh, minority groups. And then it's like, okay, yeah, it's nice. And you can have meetings and maybe you get some budget, but in the end, there's no power. Like, yeah, nothing changes. Nothing changes in the, in the bigger scheme of things. So, no. so if you, if we talk about the theory of intersectionality, meaning that there are different marginalized groups intersecting. so. Um, with different characteristics intersecting. So, for example, mm-hmm. you just mentioned LGB- LGBTQ+, uh, um, uh, women, people of color, different groups. Would mm-hmm. you say that each of these groups requires a different approach to create more equality for these groups? Yes and no. I think there are some things you need to do on an organizational level that are good for everyone and better for everyone and that are kind of the, you know, the bare minimum. And then on the other hand, each of these groups may have specific needs. But, you know, there might be a lot of issues that are more relevant for this group or more relevant for that group. But I think there are also some things you like you need to have a good objective unbiased way to hire people Mm. it's better for everyone but then you might say okay we we want to have a talent pool that is as diverse as possible so we're going to do specific initiatives to find people from the lgbtq community we want to hire more people of color so we these are the ways we're going to find them so you're going to tap into different networks and that can be specific networks um, and then do some things on the organizational level. So for me, it sounds like a lot of emotional labor <laughs> next to yes. labor, labor in general, but the work, the field you're in, um, how do you, like on a personal level, how do you maintain sane and happy and <laughs> and keeping it light? <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty easy for me because I'm like, 
you know, I'm not working in any of these organizations. So I can just come in and say like, hey, <laughs> you know, you should change this and this. And usually when I'm interviewing people, people are happy to talk to me because they're like, oh, finally, <laughs> I can, you know, rant about everything and your external, your independence. So I can <laughs> tell you all my problems. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and they are hopeful because maybe something might change and some maybe I might be disappointing them because <laughs> it's not so easy to change something. Um, yeah, so I think that is a pretty nice and easy position to be in. Um, and also I think it's kind of, yeah, it's sad, but it's maybe easier if you're an external advisor to be taken seriously than if you're just any of the employees. Mm. And I think for myself, yeah, and maybe also personal privilege, like being a white person and being young, they think like, oh, it's, you know, it's nice to, to speak to you. They don't see me as like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not very threatening to them, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah, and also I, I'm always, yeah, using humor, like if I think, okay, this is really terrible or, you know. <laughs> As I told you, like, okay, you take four years yeah. to do a research, and then the conclusion is to do another research. Like, you know, I just I cannot believe it. Maybe we could create a PhD to research the fact yes. that they want to do a research. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. And then, but then also, it's a very nice position for me to be in because, yeah, I can say, okay, I'm not going to work with organizations that just want to do more research you know at some point i can tell them like hey okay it's enough just figure it out and get back to me when you have <laughs> some action yeah exactly and speaking of that action so for for the listeners that are very keen on to be a change agent in their organization what would you advise them to do to make their organization a bit more equal yeah, just start. I think it's the first thing. So <laughs> like, if you if you get angry about something or you're frustrated, just like you did with your uh, previous employer, like just start talking to people. Say like, hey, you know, what do you think about it? I think it's not okay. Should we change something? And also, once I heard an advice, was someone said like, yeah, before you quit, uh, try to get fired. <laughs> I think it was a pretty nice advice. Nice. Because I think a lot of people, they are so scared, especially if they work in like these big uh, organizations with a lot of hierarchy. They think everyone is, everything is going to hurt their career. But usually I think you can do a lot more than you expect. Like, and even your leadership might really appreciate it. You think like, oh, I'm asking for this or I'm telling them they're not doing well. But in the end, they are like, wow, okay, you... Um, stand up for a good cause you take initiative you know they can see it in a very positive way so i think just do it and be a bit bold and (laughs) you know go to the highest person and really you need a lot of repetition because yeah the first time they say oh no and then you ask again and again and again so i think you need to be really persistent Mm. yeah i i can imagine and um, so what, you've done it. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I did. Yeah. yeah, and don't be patient as well. I never have really taken myself seriously on on many levels. You know, like I can. Yeah. I mean, life is so short. <laughs> so oh, but that's yeah. I don't take my career I mean, like, in a sense like, oh my gosh. Uh, standing out for equality would kill my career I'm like no we should all stand up for equality 
exactly. It's our and in the end, we must. you can you can switch jobs again or switch companies. You know exactly. Yeah, but you can see like okay, it doesn't really have to affect me. And I think you learn a lot about it as well. It also gives you more respect. People respect you more to a certain degree that you really stand out for something you really believe in. Because in the end, it's also about a, va- a value, right? Equality as a value, something that yeah is important. It's also challenging, I think. I can imagine that some people, at least that's what I got when I was trying to change things in the organizations. I really try um, to to move, uh, really move a change forward. And, and I'm happy I did because I, I'm also proud of what we sort of accomplished. At the beginning, everyone thought I was an activist, or maybe still. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you are, right? The actors. And I'm like, yeah, but why is it a negative connotation? Why does it have a negative connotation? Yeah. I just, I, I spot the underdog, and I don't, I don't believe that people need save, saving or that they need me as a savior or a hero. But if no one else opens their mouth, I will certainly do that. <laughs> If it's the if it feels that it's the right thing to do, you know, and what I'm also curious about is how do you perceive the future when it comes down to this topic? Are you hopeful? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It really depends on the day. Sometimes I'm like, yes, we're making a change. You know, something is happening. Or when I speak to real. People are a lot older and it's like, okay, you know, if you really look over time, over generations, I think a lot is changing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm like, oh, everything goes so slowly. And, you know, then talking about large organizations that I've known for years and they have been talking about this for years. And then I think like, well, you know, really nothing is changing. So sometimes I'm really also a bit worried about the the future but if you see now where the world is going like but also in politics and if you see things happening in the Netherlands with the Tuslaga affair like the, it turns out the Dutch state was just discriminating people on a huge scale yeah, ethnic profiling um, ethnic profiling which had like really really bad consequences if you look at Trump and a lot of countries i think there's a lot of also women's rights are really under pressure in a lot of countries mm. yeah i think that's pretty bad we need more but three people so everyone who's listening <laughs> if you don't know what you want to do in your life <laughs> but you know so you want to make the world a better place <laughs> go ahead yeah, join us join sophie <laughs> yeah. no but yeah. honestly i really uh, admire your work as well i mean i've I've told you before um uh i've been asked a couple of times would you want to do pursue a career in this field of diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. but then uh, coming back to one of the points i made before or the the propositions of i i don't want to be that one token to Mm -hmm. push this forward because for me it's not a women's problem or a people of Mm -hmm. color's problem it's an organizational problem yeah. And that's that's really a different perspective, you know. So uh, I feel everyone should feel obliged to to work and to think about these dynamics and the things that happen uh, and to have these discussions yeah. in the workforce. In every episode, I ask the same three wrap-up questions for inspiration and to gradually shake us off the topic 
we just had a real conversation so about. So what piece of wisdom inspires you and why? Yeah, there's a really good quote by Angela Davis. And she's saying, uh, she said, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. Oh, wow. I think it's a very good and nice quote because I think a lot of people are just... They're always frustrated or they're angry about things. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, it's good. Or I understand and you cannot change everything by yourself. But there are things, you know, you always have some power. There are always things that you can do in your influence. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to focus on. Oh, great. It's a really powerful one and a deep one as well. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And what travel destination are you daydreaming of these days? Anywhere where it's sunny and <laughs> blue sky, warm, maybe south of Spain or somewhere, yeah. Somewhere not in the house. <laughs> not in the house, exactly. <laughs> Even taking the train, you know, to another city in the Netherlands would be like uh, an adventure. <laughs> somewhere outside of my living room. <laughs> oh my God. You can listen to this uh, like in like sort of, um corona times exactly yeah and then be like this is so pathetic i even in i was even craving for train rides through the lowlands yeah (laughs) somewhere else in the park uh, in amsterdam (laughs) all right fair enough some somewhere sunny with blue skies yes so and and to take it closer to home um what will you eat for dinner tonight I don't know, but it's almost dinner time. But I must say, usually um, my boyfriend takes care of uh, dinner. So uh, okay, so the gender uh, dynamics there are exactly <laughs> very good cook. Nice. So, uh, I think we will cook something, pasta or something, or or the food because it's like the only um, highlight of uh, oh the yes. Lunch. Yeah, in Corona, that's the order. Of course. Yeah. Good one. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining this conversation, Sophie. Thank you for for inviting me. And keep keep it up with what you're doing. And yeah, hopefully till next time. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And I would appreciate your thoughts, feedback and or episode inspiration at brownbrainybeautiful.com or on Instagram. Take care.